Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to another live episode of the Chronicles of Aguna, part of the 90 Min Football Family with me, your host, Harry Simiou. It's the big match preview. We're looking ahead to Arsenal's trip to Turf Moor. Mikel Arteta's side back in action and looking to register another three points ahead of a big game coming up at the end of next month against Manchester City. Do we have to win every game between now and then? We might be able to drop a couple of points here and there, depending on how results go elsewhere. But when you consider who we're playing this weekend, there are no excuses. This is a must win for Mikel Arteta's side. We're going to preview it in depth, as we always do, right here on the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Don't go anywhere. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Hope you're all good. Hope you're all well. Thank you for joining me live on this Friday morning. Uh, hope everyone's good. Hope everyone's uh got to that point in the week where you know you're excited I guess because the weekend is around the corner a uh, trip to Burnley for Arsenal this time around and an opportunity as I said there in the intro to get another three points on the board this is one of those games where it, it, there is no grey area right a lot of the time when we preview Premier League games I sit here and I say well it's the Premier League and anything can happen and you know you can't be um taking anything for granted. And and I say that not because I'm trying to protect the team or because I'm trying to be Arsenal's PR man, as some people like to put it. I say that because I genuinely believe that most of the time that is the case. 
The problem with a fixture like Burnley is that there is a lot of pressure because nobody anywhere in the world of any persuasion is going to accept anything less than three points for Arsenal in this game. Anything less than that will go down as a failure. And so there is that pressure. But then the flip side of that is that you're playing a weaker side. We're going to come on uh, to do our statistical preview and look at Burnley's season in the Premier League so far. Uh, on this show, we're also going to review uh, Mikel Arteta's press conference, which he gave bright and early this morning. For once, he did it early in the morning, which was great because it means we can include his comments in our preview show. We're going to discuss a little bit about what we can expect from Burnley. Uh, we'll also do that statistical preview, as I mentioned. I'll share with you guys the starting eleven that I would like to see Mikel Arteta pick, as well as a prediction and we'll take some of your questions from the live chat as well. Let me say a few hellos. A big hello to Henry, to Aaron, to Hacker, to Yontora, uh, to, to um, Money Ain't. We've got AJ in there as well, Wandering Minstrel. Uh, Gunner is with us. Uh, Robert Segal says, every Gunner uh, should visit Burnley once in their life. Um, I did Burnley a few years back. Um, yeah. Burnley is a, it's a special place. Uh, Baraguda is with us as well. He says, come on, Arsenal. Yep, we're all um, feeling that way. Uh, AJ says, hearing we should have all our injured players back by the end of the month. I hope there's some validity to that, Mr. Simeu. Well, look, you can never be sure about these things because players do, as we've found out the hard way in recent years, suffer setbacks. But the noises coming out of the football club and from Mikel Arteta today are pretty positive. And that's a really, really kind of good segue, I think, into uh, discussing the press conference that Mikel Arteta gave this morning in which he shared some team news with uh, those in attendance and, of course, those who were listening in or watching in. So let's discuss Mikel Arteta's press conference then, uh, the one that he gave this morning, as I mentioned. Um, he was asked about the team news. He was asked about his friendship with Vincent Kompany. Uh, Arsenal's strong run of form, the title race and more. Uh, here's everything he had to say. Now, we're not going to go through every comment on every subject because we'll be here all day. And I'm sure a lot of you have watched this uh, press conference, listened to the press conference, taken quotes from it from social media. So we'll just highlight the key parts. First question as it tends to be on a Friday press conference, is team news. What can you give us? What's the latest? And Mikel Arteta is someone that normally keeps his cards quite close to his chest. And he still kind of did that to a point today. He didn't go spewing it all out about who's done what this week and who's ready and who's maybe not. But he did say some of them, talking about the injured players, have been progressing better than others. We have a training session again today. Some of them, have, some of them, I beg your pardon, have done a few bits this week, and I'm positive that hopefully we're going to get a few back for tomorrow. If any are ruled out, he said at the moment, no, which gives you hope. And Mikel Arteta would never give you hope unless he was pretty confident, I would say. Um, he was asked about the importance of using the squad. Uh, you know, he, he talked about the fact that we have to kind of take it game by game. He goes on to talk about the fact that, you know, there's been some selections he's had to make over the last few weeks not necessarily because he preferred one player to another, but because ultimately he had no choice and that's all he had at his disposal. Um, he said there are no big setbacks on any of the other injuries and he sort of volunteered Thomas Partey um, as an example and he volunteered a bit of an update here on Thomas Partey's status, which I think has to be seen in a positive light. Now, we got really, really excited a few weeks ago. I got really, really excited on this podcast about Thomas Partey's return. 
I think I put a video out saying I've been waiting all season for this. I think that was the, the title of the video or whatever. That's how gassed I was about the idea of him coming into the side and playing in midfield alongside Rice and alongside Martin Odegaard, who we've seen him combine with brilliantly in the past. And then we learned that Thomas Partey had suffered a setback and that kind of put a bit of a downer on things. Everybody was like, oh, for God's sake. And I'm certainly guilty of going into that kind of emotional spiral of saying, whatever happens with Thomas Partey, just move him on in the summer. And I still kind of feel like that overall in that, you know, the injuries have been too frequent. The injuries have been too costly for us because of how much we rely on him. And although I appreciate there aren't many Thomas Partey's out there, there aren't, aren't many players that can do the defensive side and the offensive side of the game as well as he can. I think that you, you do need to start preparing for a Thomas Partey departure. You do need to have the alternative in place. Now, some people will argue that's Declan Rice. I'm still not totally convinced as to where exactly Declan Rice was signed to play. Um, is it as a six? Is it as an eight? I like Rice as the six. I really, really do. Uh, the more I see him play there, the more I think that's where he belongs, in which case maybe you start looking at another eight, but you need to have cover for Declan Rice as well, because otherwise you're in the same situation. You're one injury away from a real big drop off. But this is what Thomas Partey said. He said, Thomas Partey, this is what Thomas, this is what Mikel Arteta said about Thomas Partey. He said, he's progressing really well. I don't want to say too much, but he's looking very good and he's on the field already. Now, I tweeted earlier on today um, saying, uh, where was it? Hold on a second. I said, Thomas Partey is, quote marks, on the field already, according to Mikel Arteta. And you can imagine what the replies were. What do you mean already? He's a month late. <laughs> um, Den says, already, <laughs> Adam, it's taken him a month to recover from a setback. Cook says, already, he's only been out all season, but yeah, no rush. I get what you're saying, but I don't want to misquote the manager. So I, I literally posted what he said. Like, that's that's what you do. You quote someone. You don't make shit up to... Um, to not wind people up on social media. But anyway, um, he was asked about keeping momentum going. He was asked about being involved in an exciting title race. Um, he was asked if he was friends with Vincent Company. He was full of praise for him. Um, asked about the opportunity to win uh, the first five games of the calendar year for the first time in Arsenal's history, I believe. Um, which would be something, wouldn't it? Another little record along the way. He did talk about... Um, Vincent Company's side quite a bit. And he said, you know, I think it was, uh, was it George from the BBC, I think, that asked him the question about um, whether he thinks that it's kind of clicking into place now for Vincent Company because it's been a difficult season for Bernie, which we'll come on to discuss in a bit. And he said, look, it already started last season with what they did in the championship. It was phenomenal, a record season for them. And to do that, you need to be exceptional at what you do. If not, that doesn't happen. Big credit to him. Um, and he talked about his ability to convince people because even when they went through a difficult period, I look at how the players and the staff behave and the crowd, they're all with him. They follow him and they're constantly trying to do what he demands. They've been really competitive. He also went on to say, in my opinion, they're really unlucky with a lot of the results they've had this season. I agree with that. I haven't watched Burnley a load. I, I, I'll be honest, like it's not I'm not. With all due respect to Burnley Football Club, right, if it's a Sunday game and it's Burnley against someone. And it's none of the, the big boys. I'm probably not going to dedicate my, my time to that. I'm probably going to go look for a game in Serie A or La Liga or something, right? So I'd be lying if I said that I've watched Burnley loads. But when I have watched them, I've always felt that the performances have been better than 
their position in the table. And it's just that final piece that they're missing. Now, knowing our bloody luck, they're going to turn up at Turf Moor tomorrow and be on absolute fire. So we've got to be wary. We've got to be alert. Um, and we've got to be at a high level to ensure that even if Burnley do click into gear and it does go right for them for, you know, for once, we're in a position to make sure that that doesn't have an impact on the result of the game because we have to be too good. Um, complacency is our biggest enemy and our biggest threat, I believe, in this game. He was asked about Kai Havertz, his performance in recent weeks. He says, I love him. I love him. I think we all love him as a player and as a person, everything that he brings to the team. There are two or three moments the other day with it being four, five, six nil and how he tracks people and how he's defending the box and then how he's attacking the opposition's box. The position that he's constantly threatening the opponent's box as well that I really like. And you ask him to play as a nine, as a right attacking midfielder, left attacking midfielder on the base he's defending. And he does it. He's just a joy to work with. So Mikel Arteta, I think, deliberately highlighting Kai Havertz's versatility, deliberately highlighting the, the good attitude that he's shown since he come to Arsenal Football Club. Because I, I've said this before, I feel like with Kai Havertz, he's one of those players where, you know, if you're watching a game of football, unless he bangs one into the top corner, which hasn't happened anywhere near often enough, uh, you know, unless he scores and his contribution is is measurable in that way, you know, it's been a little bit difficult at times to see what his value is. I think over time, watching him more and more, understanding more and more about his demeanour, the way he carries himself, we've all come to realise, I would say, that his attitude is spot on, that he works incredibly hard for the team, that he does have some very unique qualities and that he, as I described on a podcast the other day, he's become Mikel Arteta's Swiss army knife. That's what Kai Havertz is now. He is that player that you can use for a variety of different issues, you know, and yeah, he might not be the greatest centre forward or the greatest centre midfielder. But when you think about the injury problems we've had this year, the fact that he's had to play in different positions and and you factor all of that stuff in, it's been quite a good acquisition, I would say. And people always hammer me for saying this and, and I always get it, you know, oh, look, you're just defending Kai Havertz. I said it the other day. There are signings that Mikel Arteta's made that I will happily sit here and say haven't really had an impact. Kai Havertz isn't one of those. I think he has had an impact. I just think that you really need to sometimes study the game. Sometimes you need to watch the game back. And sometimes you need to be a little bit more open-minded when going into your analysis to understand what it is that he brings to the team. Now, in the heat of an emotional game, you might miss that. You might overlook that. It's why I always watch games back. I think it's really, really important that if you get the time and the chance to do that, that you do before you start drawing conclusions about players. Because the way you feel about something in the moment can be very different to the way you feel about it 24 to 48 hours later. I really, really do believe that. Um, he was asked about David Raya, who, of course, uh, has improved of late. Um, again, Mikel Arteta using the opportunity to highlight what he believes David Raya's qualities are um, and, and put a bit of positive narrative out into the ether uh, with regards to, um, you know, his uh, his signing, the guy that he brought in in the summer that divided opinion just like Kai Havertz did. He said, what I like about David as well is what he does in goal because he was asked about David Raya's distribution of late, which has been pretty impressive. He said, the things that he prevents us from, you don't even see because they don't happen because he's anticipated them. But yeah, obviously he came into an environment that was very challenging, but that's what I love about him. The players with the courage and the character and personality when even 
it's like this. They want to be themselves and they push themselves to do that. He's earned the right to be very respected. And I'm really happy that he's winning. If we take it on. The Kylian Mbappe stuff, which I know is going to make a lot of headlines today. Um, obviously, we heard yesterday that Kylian Mbappe um, has told, has informed Paris Saint-Germain that he'll be leaving in the summer. We all knew it was coming, his contract's up. And I think we all can kind of guess where he's going to end up. Uh, but Mikel Arteta was asked about this. Uh, I think the question was, well, you know, we kind of all know where he's going. What do you think about it? And, and Mikel said, look, when there's a player of that caliber available, we always have to be in the conversation. But as you said, it looks like it will go a different way. So he kind of built everyone's hopes up about Kylian Mbappe and then very, very quickly poured cold water uh, on that conversation. Um, uh, he talked about the difficulty um, with regards to winning the title potentially when players aren't available. And we know that's been a problem for us um, in the past um, he was also asked about Roy Hodgson. I've got to have a little bit of a rant about this, by the way. Like, I know it's not Arsenal related, but we heard yesterday morning that Roy Hodgson was going to be sacked and that Oliver Glasner was going to come in, a German coach who won the Europa League, I think, with Eintracht Frankfurt. Really, really well sought after coach. Good appointment, as far as I'm concerned, if Crystal Palace get this over the line. And there was due to be a Roy Hodgson press conference. Now, that press conference was cancelled because Roy Hodgson was taken ill. And I've seen a lot of people on social media saying, if Crystal Palace have made this up to get out of a press conference because they were about to sack Roy Hodgson, that is out of order. Obviously, if that's the case, then that is bang out of order. But we don't know that that's the case. And we've got no indication that that decision to cancel the press conference or the announcement that Roy Hodgson is unwell has got anything to do with his job. And I just think, like, we need to kind of respect the guy. A, respect Roy Hodgson, respect his family as well. Like, do they need these unhelpful narratives fighting around? Is he going to lose his job at Crystal Palace? Probably. Um, but that's got nothing to do with his health. And uh, I've met Roy Hodgson on a number of occasions. I've interviewed Roy Hodgson on a number of occasions. And I know a lot of people say nowadays that actually he's quite prickly and quite hard to deal with um, as a post-match interviewer reporter, whatever. I've always found him to be an absolute joy to chat to. Um, and so I wish uh, Roy Hodgson all the best. Uh, really, really do. Uh, he was asked about Fabio Vieira's fitness because, of course, he's been um, out for a little while, hasn't he? I think since November now. Uh, Mikel said he's very close. He's been training already for a few days with the team, so I think he's very close. He'll probably be back faster than we expected, and he's in a good place. He was asked if he would be or could be available against Porto, to which Mikel Arteta replied, there is a chance, yes. Uh, he was also asked, and, and this is the final bit we'll touch on from the press conference, about his coaching staff being linked to managerial jobs. Now, Carlos Cuesta uh, has been linked with a Norwich job uh, at the end of the season. Uh, Mikel says, yeah, that's great. Um, it's great when that happens, not only with coaching staff, but also certain staff that other clubs are trying to come and get them, which is always a really, really good sign that they're doing a good job and that we have the right people here. I don't think Mikel Arteta is the type that will stand in someone's way if an opportunity comes up that they feel um, they want to take and, and that they feel is is worthwhile uh, for them. I'm going to go over to the comments uh, right after this short pause. Then uh, we're going to do our statistical preview and continue on this edition of the Big Match Preview as we build up to Arsenal versus, or I should say Burnley versus Arsenal get it technically right and all that uh, back right after this. 
welcome back along to the pod hope you're all good hope you're all well let's have a look at what you guys are saying in the comments section um right lots of chat about injuries understandably uh, aaron says uh, three recover from injury and four get injured i don't think we'll ever have a fully fit squad um what else have we got uh Jan Tora says uh, not Arsenal but is Brook Norton Cuffey injured not played the la- the last couple of games for Mill I don't know to be honest um I don't know I've not been massively impressed with him I heard loads about him in the past Millwall was struggling this season I think they're in free fall at the moment and they could find themselves in league 1 next season if they're not careful uh what else have we got um Eric says I made peace with Kai let us just trust Arteta I think that's the right way um, the right way to go. Uh, Django says, uh, Oi, hey, I'm late, but intro music is funky AF. You know what that stands for. Brilliant. Um, Archangel says, Havertz isn't impactful enough. I think he is impactful enough. I think you're just, you're you're doing what a lot of people do. And I'm not criticizing people for doing this because I think it, it's a very common thing and it's fine. But you're looking at a certain set of metrics in terms of wanting justification over a player's importance. So you're looking at goals, you're looking at assists. I think that sometimes you have to look a bit deeper and there are other things that players can bring to the table which then impact the number of goals and assists that others are able uh, to provide. I, I just think that you need, yeah, you need to scratch beneath the surface a little bit to understand exactly what it is that Kai Havertz brings to the table. But I really, really do think um, that he's having a he's having a positive impact. I really do. Uh, Tom says, uh, Mbappe to Arsenal. Make it happen, Edu. <laughs> um, still, lots of um, Havertz criticism. I'm just, I'm just bored of it, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, bored of it. Uh, Tom says, uh, smash that like button, fam. Yes, please do. It really, really does help. Where are we on likes? Let me just refresh this page because it never, it never refreshes in real time. Uh, nowhere near where we need to be, guys. Come on, let's get the likes up. Subscribe to the channel as well if your brand's banking new. If you prefer, uh, you can, of course, listen to the pod on audio as well. Right, let's do our statistical preview, uh, shall we? Let's um, have a look at some of the uh, numbers around these two sides for the season so far and check out the head-to-head record. Turf Moor is the venue. Burnley versus Arsenal is the fixture. Let's have a look at the head-to-head record in Premier League history between these two sides. Not a great deal of meetings, just 17. Burnley haven't always been in the top flight. Uh, They've won just one of their 17 meetings with Arsenal in the Premier League. There have been four draws between the two sides and the Gunners have won 12 of those 17 fixtures. So Arsenal have a really, really strong record against Burnley in Premier League history. I mean, should you take this really seriously? Probably not, because it's still a one-off game and anything can happen. But I do think these types of things, they do have a psychological impact. Like, if you're a Burnley player going into this game, you look at it and you go, bloody hell, we've only beaten Arsenal once in 17. It can go two ways. It can give you extra motivation and and make you think, well, imagine what a, a kind of result this would be. And, you know, let's give it our absolute all to make it happen. It can also give you a little bit of an inferiority complex, I think. And that is something that Vincent Company will have to deal with anyway because of the difference in how the two teams are faring in the Premier League. But when the historical context gets brought in, I think it makes his job a little bit harder. If we look at the recent meetings between these two sides, if we go back over the last five, there was a 3-1 win 
for Arsenal uh, back in November at Emirates Stadium. Um, I was away for this one. I think I was in Bratislava. I was on a stag do. I remember watching it um, in an Irish pub. Whenever you're abroad and you need to watch a game of football and you can't find anywhere to watch it, search for the closest Irish pub. They'll always have you covered. Uh, Sunday, the 23rd of January, 2022, we drew nil-nil with Burnley. Um, if you go back to uh, September 2021, we won 1-0 at Turf Moor. If you go back to the 6th of March 2021, there was a 1-1 draw. And there was a 1-0 win for Burnley. Their only Premier League victory um, against Arsenal came at the Emirates Stadium back in December 2020. We were going through an awful period at that point. I remember that. So if you look at it, although I've said that, yeah, you know, Arsenal have been really, really dominant in this fixture over the years, We've only won two of the last five meetings. There have been two draws in there. And that single Burnley victory came in 2020, which was five meetings ago between these two sides. If we take a look at the form guide, Arsenal have won four of their last five. The perfect way to bounce back after disappointing results against West Ham and Fulham. The 5-0 win over Palace, the 2-1 win at the City ground against Nottingham Forest. The 3-1 victory over Liverpool and a 6-0 win at the London Stadium last weekend. Burnley haven't won any of their last five. They've picked up two draws along the way, but they've suffered three defeats. The defeats came against Villa, City and Liverpool. All teams you'd expect them to lose to, to be fair. It's no great scandal that they didn't win those games. A home draw with Luton would have been frustrating, 1-1, because, of course, they are also fighting for their lives down there. And a 2-2 draw with Fulham might have been frustrating as well, because although Fulham are, are better than Burnley, It's one of those fixtures that if you're a relegation candidate, you probably look at and think, okay, tough game, but it's not impossible to win. Whereas you probably look at City, Arsenal, Liverpool, um, and you think, bloody hell, like we're going to need to be at our brilliant best to make that um, turn into anything positive. Season so far, Burnley are second from bottom. They've won just three games in the Premier League this season. They've drawn four and lost 17. Arsenal, obviously, in third going into the weekend, 16 victories, four draws, four defeats. Arsenal score an average 2.21 goals per match. Burnley are just over one at 1.04. Average goals conceded, they're conceding over two goals a game. Arsenal just under one. Uh, Clean sheets, the Gunners have nine. Vincent Company's side have just two. Um, The chances created per match stat, I'm going to skip that because I can never make sense of how they figure that out. And as to... And as a result of that, I don't know how valid it really is. If we look at top player stats across these two sides, uh, goals, Bukayo Saka has 10 Premier League goals now. Um, Leandro Trossard has six in second. And when you think that he doesn't play much, Leandro Trossard, that's mad, isn't it? Like, as in he doesn't start much. Gabriel Martinelli is in third uh, across these two teams with five. He's picked it up a little bit as well in recent weeks. Bukayo Saka. Uh, Leads the way on assists, two with seven. Odegaard second with five. Rice third with four. Tackles, it's all Arsenal players as well. Rice uh, leads the way with 51. Saka joint second with Zinchenko on 46. The Zinchenko bit surprised me when I saw this. Do you have him down as much of a tackler? He clearly is more of a tackler uh, than I thought. But anyway, uh, that's a statistical preview for this one. Um, Burnley versus Arsenal coming up at Turf Moor. Tomorrow, after the break, we're going to talk starting 11. How would you like to see the Gunners line up this weekend? And then we'll talk a little bit about what we can expect from Burnley as well. 
Okay, so I, I thought long and hard about this this morning. And although I've been talking about Mikel Arteta uh, providing a positive update when it comes to injuries and, and giving us a little bit of hope, actually, about a number of players that, that could be available, I don't know for a fact that any of them are going to be ready to start. So as a result of that, I've kept it simple. I didn't even bother making a graphic because I could just grab it from the last game. I think we should go with exactly the same 11 that played at West Ham last weekend and won so comprehensively. I thought Kivior did a really good job at left back. Tommy Asu, is he going to be in the squad? Is he going to be available? He wasn't available against West Ham, uh, despite a lot of people thinking that he'd come back into the side. I would persist with Kivior for this one because I think that Kivior is getting better and better, more and more comfortable in that position. Now, I don't see his long-term future being at left-back, but I think he's a player that's, that's you know, operating at the moment with a much higher level of confidence, and that's coming through in his performances. I also think having Kivior there allows us to invert with Ben White. Now, this is something that we've been talking about for a little while, like th this obsession almost with inverting from the left-hand side has meant that we've never really talked about Ben White being someone that should or could do that. And I always looked at Ben White in terms of his profile, in terms of what his skill set is, how good he is on the ball, and thought, yeah, he could do that. He could make that work. After watching it against West Ham, I'm now convinced that this is the way to go in the absence of Zinchenko. So, Mikel Arteta said that some of the players had progressed, some of them had done some stuff this week. I'm going to guess, and it is just a guess, that Zinchenko is not one of the players that's made the recovery because I I always worry about Zinchenko when he picks something up that he's going to be out for a bit. I would go with that same back four, White, Saliba, Gabriel and Kivio, with White being the one that inverts into midfield. My midfield would be Rice, Havertz and Odegaard, obviously with Ben White tucking in, in possession, giving us that bit more stability. And then I would go with Saka, Trossard and Martinelli up front. Again, Jesus is one of the ones that I don't expect to be back. And if he is available, I think we've got to be really, really careful with him because this knee thing, it isn't going away. Um, it's a real, real problem for him. And, you know, he had that, that little sort of procedure to remove some of the fluid that we heard was on the knee. Um, I, I beg your pardon. He had a little procedure to correct something that wasn't really rectified um, with the problem that he had last season. Then there was some fluid on the knee. I don't know if they've done anything about that in terms of drainage or anything like that. But he's been missing for a few games now, and I'm starting to worry that this is going to be a recurring thing. And I feel like you kind of need to give him the opportunity to recover. Leandro Trossard is in red hot form. He was brilliant at West Ham, scored a really, really good goal, scored a goal against Liverpool as well. Leave him in the side. I actually really like Leandro Trossard as a false nine when he can change around with, with Havertz, when he can interchange. And I don't look at Burnley, which kind of leads me on to the next bit, which is what we can expect from Burnley. I don't expect them to be the Burnley of old. This is not the rough and tumble Sean Dyche Burnley. This is a Burnley side that are going to try and play football that are probably not as physically dominant as Sean Dyche's sides were in the past. I'm not saying they're going to be pushovers or that they're not going to be competitive, but I think this is one that's going to be um, contested in a better spirit of the game, shall we say, than we maybe used to see when we travelled to somewhere like Turf Moor. So, I think having that ability to to swap Trossard and Havertz over at any given time, to have Trossard floating, drifting, to have Havertz um, given that license to be able to say, right, I'm going to make that, 
that run an extra 10 yards forward and I'm going to be the one leading the line. It gives you the opportunity to go a little bit more direct. It means that Trossard can get up alongside him and play off of him. If White's tucking into midfield as well, um, just that whole flexibility is is something that I, I think that Burnley will struggle with. And going back to some of Arteta's comments post-West Ham, I think he was pleasantly surprised actually by how well that all worked. I think he'll persist with it. I think he should persist with it. So to be clear, for those of you listening on audio, my lineup to face Burnley this weekend is Raya in goal, White, Saliba, Gabriel and Kivior, Odegaard, Rice and Havertz in midfield with Saka, Trossard and Martinelli in attack. That is what I would go with. That's probably what I think he's going to go with, by the way. Um, maybe one change here or there, but I'd like to see that tweet come out tomorrow. Unchanged 11. I'd be pretty happy and content with that. In terms of what we can expect from Burnley, I know I kind of briefly touched on it then. I don't think there's anything particularly... Um, I don't think there's anything particularly outstanding in terms of things that tactically we have to worry about. I think we are better than Burnley, and I think we should go into this game not too concerned by... I don't mean take them lightly. What I mean is I don't think we should be too concerned by their tactical setup. I think if we play our game we're more than good enough to beat them. And that's why I'm not going to do such a deep dive as maybe we did against Liverpool or anything like that. But they've got tricky wide players. They've got pace. They've got um, a bravery about them in terms of the way they like to play football. And they can hurt you, man. They can. Like People will say, oh, they're 19th in the league and this should be a pushover. In terms of getting the result, there is no excuse whatsoever. Arsenal have to come back from Turf Moor with all three points in the bag. Nothing less than that will do. You will not catch me sitting here on Saturday night making excuses if Arsenal don't get three points on the board. But we might not have it our own way for 90 minutes because we're away from home and there is always a possibility and a chance that Burnley do click. They've caused teams problems in the Premier League, far better teams than than themselves for 45-minute periods, for 60-minute periods. The problem is that when you don't have that quality in the final third to make the opposition pay and you don't capitalise on the good moments and periods that you have in a game, in this league, you'll be punished. And I don't think that they've got it in them to play out of their skin for 90 minutes. I think that it is one of those things where because the level is, is quite a bit lower, it comes in spurts. And if you can ride out those spurts, then your quality should tell in the end. In terms of my prediction, I'm going to go for Burnley 1, Arsenal 3. I think we're going to get the same scoreline that we got at Emirates Stadium earlier this season. I think Arsenal will score goals. I think Burnley will probably get a goal as well um, because of uh, how good I think they are as an attacking force. Again, they, they sometimes lack the quality in that final third. They don't always have that ruthlessness about them. Um, in the sort of opposition penalty area. But I think the build-up play is really good and exciting and it should be uh, an interesting game to watch. It's kind of a game for a football purist, which is not something I've ever said, I don't think, about a trip to Turf Moor. But hey, times change, don't they? Um, we're going to take another really, really short pause. And when we come back, we're going to spend uh, the next 10 minutes or so of the show in the comments section. So get involved. Let me know what you want to say. Um, and we'll do as much of that as we can before the time runs out. Thank you. And we'll be back in just a mo. Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Right, let's go over to the comments section. Um, um, Afsar says, 
to win the Premier League, can we even afford to draw a Premier League game between now and the end of the season? Never mind losing. It's, um, I mean, look, you can't afford to drop many points. We, we learned that last season, right? We learned that the hard way. And I think when you look at the standards that City and uh, Liverpool have set over the years, you know, you kind of know roughly where you need to be if you want to seriously challenge for the league title. But things can happen. You know, strange things happen. You know, Manchester City could lose Rodri. You know, Liverpool could lose a key player. Like, these things can happen in football. And that's why you've always got a chance. I said it from the start of the season, right? People were asking me, what would represent a good season for Arsenal? Given that, in some people's words, we, and I quote, bottled the title. And I repeatedly said that for me, it's about showing that we can maintain first. So get back in the Champions League. Make sure you're in there for a second consecutive season. Make sure that you're there or thereabouts in the title race. Make sure that you're within reach of the top of the Premier League come the end of the campaign again. Because although that might not represent progress in terms of going from one point to the next, it will show that we can sustain. And in order to make real progress, and I'm talking about progress that can last um, over the course of three or four years and, and, and over a nice period of time, you need to be able to sustain the base level first. Once you've done that, then you've got to find ways as a coach and as a manager and as players to get that little bit extra, to, to provide that little bit extra that takes you over the line. But if you don't maintain that base core level of performance, then it means nothing. Then it looks like a like last season was a flash in the pan. It looks like Arsenal punched well above their weight on one, you know, one outlying season. And after that, they faded away and disappeared and, and nobody saw them as title challenges ever again. Y you first have to maintain. And for me, that's the most important thing. If we lose out on the league title by one or two points, of course, I'll be disappointed. But am I going to sit there and say that Mikel Arteta's failed? No, I'm not. Because for me, it was about maintenance first. I really want us to go well in the Champions League. I'll be really disappointed if that doesn't happen. Um, more so than the Premier League. Because I believe that it's harder to win the Premier League than it is to win the Champions League. I really, really do. Um, but back to Afsar's point, can we even afford to draw a Premier League game? Well, it doesn't feel like we can now. But you don't know how the season is going to pan out, of course. Um, what else have we got? Uh, Tom says, is Tommy available? Is Tommy Asu available? The answer is, I don't know, mate. Um, to be honest with you, I, I don't know. I didn't think he was going to be in the side. Um, I didn't think he was going to be in the side at West Ham last weekend. I know I got, I got a lot of grief for, for saying that Kivio should play at left back, but it turned out that he wasn't available. Um, maybe Mikel Arteta's given him a bit of time off. Maybe there is a bit of an injury niggle that we don't know about. I'm not entirely sure. I'm hoping he's going to be available because I want to see as many of our best players available and, and ready for selection as possible. And I think that if we can get through this kind of mini injury crisis that we've had and get everybody back and still be in a position like the one we're in today, then I think we've got a great chance of having a real good crack at it. And um, and I think that was our undoing last season. It wasn't Mikel Arteta throwing it away. It wasn't the players bottling it, as people like to say. It was genuinely just a, a case of we didn't have the quality to cover some really key players that went down with injuries at really key moments. I, I really do believe that was the issue. Uh, Baguma says, Harry, do you think the same fans who sing We've Got Super Mick Arteta, he knows exactly what we need, are the same fans who complain 
or point fingers at the players he picks or buys. Thoughts in general. Yeah, I mean, I thought, um, yeah, I, I mean, I think there's a lot of fans that, you know, when they're in the moment in the stadium, they'll sing the name. That they'll be full of praise for him, and and you ride on that emotion that you feel when you're at a game. But then when things go south, it's we're fickle, aren't we, football fans? We we turn and we start pointing fingers at people that maybe a week ago we were lauding. That's just the way it goes. Um, that's just the way it goes. Um, Asaf says, "I'm going to watch Arsenal at Porto next week. Will you be there? I'm not going to be at Porto next week. Um, unfortunately, I'm not able to do the trip. Um, but I'm going to." Fingers crossed. I'm, you know what? I'm not even going to say it. Let's just let's just get through this round first. Um, but no, I'm not going to be at Porto, which does mean that we can bring you a Chronicles of Aguna reaction pod within an hour of the full time whistle, which is pretty cool, I guess. And I've not always been able to do that um, over the last couple of seasons, where I've been covering games on the ground for for BBC and and various others. But yeah, I'm I'm going to be uh, watching it from home, and uh, we'll bring you some reaction to that one straight away. Um, the 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 second leg, which takes place at the Emirates Stadium, I'll be there, um, but not not for the trip to uh, the Dragao. I did go to the Dragao, though, earlier this season to watch them play Barcelona in the group stages. And I thought it was a really, really special place to, to take in a game of football. So I'm um, wishing you all a safe trip that are making the trip. Of course, you're going to love it. It's a brilliant place. Um, Aaron says, uh, I actually feel like we could draw the City game if City were to lose at Anfield. If you offered me a draw against Manchester City at the Etihad now, I would take it 100%. Because then we've taken four points off them. We've beaten them at the Emirates and we've drawn away. Just like I was really happy with a point at Anfield earlier in the season. We then went on to beat them at the Emirates, four points off of them. You know, I'd, I'd be more than happy with that. You know, more than happy with that. If, if we were to take four points of both of those sides this season, nobody could turn around at the end of the season and say, well, the reason we didn't win the title, if that was the case, is because Mikel Arteta couldn't beat the very best because he'd have taken four points off of both of them. So, yeah. Uh, what else have we got? Um, Aaron Knoll says, um, how do we get that song changed? He's talking about the Mikel Arteta song. Um yeah, I mean, songs, they catch on, they stick. I don't really know how you go about changing those things because when you've been singing one thing for so long, um, how can you uh, how can you change it? Uh, Aaron also asks, can I have your allocated Porto away ticket? I don't have one, mate. <laughs> I don't have one. Um, I, I, I just I just don't have one um, to, to pass on. Otherwise, I'd happily um, give it to the right person, give, send it to a good home, as they say. Um, but yeah. Okay, um, Arsenal content says uh, we always tend to pick up injuries when we get back to when we get back into having midweek games. Fingers crossed we don't lose any other players just when the others are returning. You say that, and and there's some validity to that point, but I also feel like we've picked up a lot of injuries over the last month and a half when we've not been playing many games. You know, we I think we played three games in January, something like that. You know, February has been pretty okay in terms of one game a week so far. Um, it's only now that the games are kicking in, but now is when we need the squad more than ever. So I actually think it was kind of better to suffer those injuries when we had less games. Um, and fingers crossed, uh, we can uh, we can have as many of our key players available as possible and be much more competitive as a result of that. And then be able to freshen it up between games as well. 
um, which is going to be really, really important in the business end of the season. Okay, guys, I am going to leave it there. Thank you uh, so, so much for joining me uh, on today's episode of the Chronicles of Aguna. It's the big match preview we've been looking at. Burnley versus Arsenal, which kicks off at 3 p.m. UK time on Saturday afternoon. We'll be back on Saturday evening uh, with a reaction episode to that game. We'll be back on Sunday as well with some form of content. Not sure what we're going to do yet. I'm sure there'll be something to talk about to break down uh, off the back of that game on Saturday. But lots to come over the weekend. Make sure you're subscribed to the channel if you're a YouTube viewer. If you're listening to us on audio, make sure you're subscribed. And please do leave us a review as well. Let's have a quick look at where we are in terms of likes on YouTube. Likes really do help. I hate asking for them, but they really, really do help. We're nowhere near where we want to be. So smash that like button. And if you're uh, one of the cool kids that uses TikTok, give me a follow on TikTok at Harry Simiu as well. I've started posting regularly on there and uh, your support would be uh, very, very much appreciated. I'll catch you all a little bit later on. Until the next one, take care of yourselves. Up the Arsenal. Come on, you gunners. Let's beat Burnley. Let's bring those three points home. Until next time, goodbye. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.